I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It will be a fight. And there'll be a lot of death, unfortunately. It will be a fight we will win. But a lot less death. But there will be death. People should be actually kept out of the country for at least 28 days. America is not prepared. G'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Butterfield Effect. It's uh, great to have you back. Thanks for joining us. Um, We have a very special individual on the show. And in the 37 episodes that we've done, this guy is up there with one of the most inspirational people that I have spoken to as of yet. He contacted me on Instagram and he said, hey, mate, people keep saying you've got to talk to the Butsman. And, uh, and so he has. And uh, I really want to thank him for his time. It's quite a, quite a tale that he has, um, that he is telling everyone at the moment all about the, the, the personal struggles he's, he's gone through and um, what led him to where he is today. He's, he's received the Order of Australia medal. He's fought for the country. And now he's fighting for something that Somehow, and this seems weird to say, but something more close to home than, than the, the war effort, if you will, in Afghanistan and uh, in Iraq. And, and that is the, the battle against cancer. Uh, this gentleman was diagnosed with a terminal brain cancer and inoperable brain cancer. And he saw that as an opportunity rather than a, uh, a death sentence, an opportunity to get out there and, and do a lot more with his life than he had done previously. And I, I think um, it's... Uh, this podcast particularly, if you're going to listen to any of the podcasts that I have done uh, in the past, um, particularly if you don't know the name of the individual, I know, I know that uh, a lot of the times when I see a podcast, if I don't know the guy's name or the person or, or what they've done so far, I sort of think, oh, you know, I might come back to that one. But this one right here, this is one that even if you're not familiar with Matt Williams, uh, you should be. You should know who this gentleman is. You should know what he's up to. You should know what he's dealing with and how he's dealing with it. And I think it is a lesson for absolutely anybody who is dealing with something tragic, hard, difficult, or tumultuous that is ripping through their lives, or anyone who has faced something like that in the past, or particularly in reality, everyone, because we all will face something difficult in our lives, or, or maybe we'll face another thing that's difficult in our lives, or maybe in 20 years we will, and you'll remember this conversation right here. So ladies and gentlemen, without further bullshitting from the Putzman, let's jump straight to the big man himself, Matthew Williams. How does one say OAM? Because it's at the back, it's a big deal. Order of Australia medal. How do you say it at the end of your name? Do you put that on coffee orders? What do you What do you do? Like, is that is, is it a What do you do? I mainly just do it now to piss off my mates. So Good. every time I log into anything, I just put OAM there. Or if I just say, "Hey, you want to come to the pub?" Just heads up, lads. This is uh, Willie OAM. Like, <laughs> I hate you so much, man. But Corporal Corporal Matt Williams. That's what you go by. Uh, that's what I go by in defence anyway. But everyone just fucking calls me Willie anyway. Right, really good stuff, mate. Now, I uh, I said in the intro to this video that that I've been looking into your story and it's very, very interesting. And I know a lot of the times when people jump on a podcast and perhaps maybe someone, you know, particularly on my channel, 
isn't aware of the person's name. You know, we have a lot of comedians on here or, or people who have blue ticks next to their name. And, and maybe some people haven't heard of you before, but your story is incredible. And I, I'd, I'd love people to really, you know, dive deep into what you have experienced and what you're dealing with at the moment and what you're doing with it. Um, if you had to explain who you are, how would you do that? Uh, so I'm a young serving member uh, of the Defence Force. Uh, who was diagnosed uh, with a terminal illness being uh, brain cancer following a deployment uh, for nine months uh, to Afghanistan, the Middle East. Uh, and since, you know, I've really had to find um, a new purpose, I guess, um, now in raising money and awareness uh, for brain cancers that affect uh, children. Yeah. Uh, as yeah. well as, you know, I put a lot of effort into uh, mental health because I think a lot of people struggle um, with things that they shouldn't, uh, struggle with as much or that they could uh, make a big difference on uh, when there's little things, uh, little mistakes that they're doing wrong. Yeah. I, I know that um, I've got a couple of mates who have returned from overseas and, and, and losing out on that structure is one of the big things mm. that uh, I think a lot of people in the defense force really struggle with. You know, you, you go into, um, I know you started as a rifleman, uh, just what straight out of school sort of thing. Is yeah, that two your... days after, yeah. Two days after graduating, I was um at Kapuka, which is basic training, still wow. bloody hungover from grad. <laughs> <laughs> so basically you, you went from, um, and, and to my point, you went from, you know, school, the bell goes, period this, period that, and you go home to, you know, Kapuka, and, you know, you're up at this time, you're in bed at this time, breakfast is this. What does yeah. that do when you, when you come out and you come back from a deployment and you're just sort of on your own, for, you're in your own free will, you can do whatever you like? Well, that was the weirdest thing, man, is it's like boredom in many ways. You're like, oh, I'm used to working 24-7 and having something on the go to, what do you mean? I can just get in my car and go to Coles. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, my, my base, um, well, where I was wasn't even considered a base. It was too small. It was a camp. Um, it was, you know, tens of metres one way and just over 100 metres the other way. Um, so it was tiny. And, of course, you can't just walk out the base and, into um, Kabul and Afghanistan and go get groceries. Yeah. Um, it was that sense of freedom again of like, Oh Jesus, you know, in 24 hours, 24 hours previously, I was here doing this and I wouldn't look over the fence without my helmet and body armor on. And now I'm just at home sitting here, hanging out, going to the shops, getting ice cream. Mm. Um, and it's a, that's the big change. And I guess another big change for me in the beginning too, was not being armed. And I bear, I, I guess cops must get the same thing. Um, in Afghanistan, you know, the insider threat on bases is very high. Um, and you have a pistol on you the whole time, all your rifle. It doesn't matter if you're doing deadlifts at the gym to you're in your bed and your rifle and pistol is, you know, in bed with you or on your bedside table-ish thing, whatever you've got. And well, if you've got your pack lying there, you might have your stuff on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are armed the whole time. Really? Um, and I remember... Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, you're in the base at the gym. Anything you've got a gun on you. So how does how does one? Because I know where I'm at the gym, and if I'm doing deadlifts or you know rack pulls or something, I like to take my phone out of my pocket. I don't like anything in the way. How do you go with a pistol on you as your sidearm there while you're doing deadlifts? How does that affect? How does that affect the lift? Yeah. So normally, um, I'd have. Well, you might be able to use it as a lifting belt. Nah, but um. Normally, we would take the holster and pistol because the holster protects the pistol from um, 
really being accidentally fired. I guess it covers the trigger and everything. Um, so a lot of time we'd walk up there just with our holster and pistol. Um, and you know, where you put your phone on the ground before doing bench press, you put it, your pistol with it. Um, and as you walk to the next exercise, you'd grab your phone and your pistol and walk over and do this, but you, you to be within arm's reach of a weapon the whole time. Um, and it doesn't, it, there's no exception to that, um, of a loaded weapon, ready to, ready to rock and roll. Um, and I guess that's a bit of a learning curve coming back. You're like, you know, you go to a club and you might feel, well, you're not in crowded areas like that over there yeah. and you might feel a little bit just on edge. Um, and being a right hander, my pistol sat on my right hip. You'd always feel uh, the holster and the pistol on sort of your right forearm when you just have your arms by your side and not feeling that was a bit of, oh shit, I'm pretty fucking vulnerable here without that. Right. Because, you know, I'm a little dude. I'm, I'm not very big and, you know, I wouldn't trust myself that bad, uh, that well, that much hand to hand. Um, and it's one of those um, weird transitions that you're there and your first line of anything is to unholster that pistol. And you come back and that's not with you anymore. You're like, oh, I feel a bit fucking naked. Almost like a, a bit where you, you pat your, your pockets where you can't find your phone and you freak out for a couple of seconds to find out where it oh, is. Yeah. You see that happen too. Guys leave their pistol in their room and they're at the mess. Like, oh, fuck, running back to find it or something. <laughs> but, ah, that happens. But that's just, that's just part, of the, part of the gig. So you're in Kapuka as, what, 18 years old, maybe nearly 19. Yeah, um, no, 18. 18. How long is basic training? I think it's a couple of months, right? It's changed now. But uh, when I was there, it was dead on 12 weeks, so 80 days long. Okay. And, and it, was, it was hard. Uh, it was, you know, it's probably the easiest military stuff I've ever done as far as none of the standards are that high. Yeah. Um, <clears> like, you know, your shooting scores and your fitness scores are low. It's basic training. Like, it's in the word. But that change of mindset from fucking around at school with your mates, getting on the piss wherever and you know cruising down to wagon school and going to subway <laughs> you're in a yeah. you're in a grown man you're in a grown-ups fucking world mm. like it is his way or the highway whoever the corporal or sergeant is and you you haven't learned you like a lot of guys might grow up being you know a bit scared of their their dad really being the authority figure but i can guarantee you your dad's not going at least mine isn't going off like they will you know it's not six in the morning till 10 at night every single day every day yeah. No exception. Going in, making your bed perfect, and then throwing it up and going, "What the fuck? Get here! You have seven minutes to go shower, shave, be back, blah blah blah." Like all day, and that change for me, being a bloody bold dickhead um, at eighteen, that 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 <clears throat> period of change was was massive. And the reason, and I haven't, I hated Kapuka, and I, and I, I still do, <laughs> but it is so important for young men and women. Uh, particularly a lot of women find it easier. I think they are more probably disciplined in everyday life than young yep. men uh, and almost easy. They find that changeover easier um, to do. Whereas some young blokes like me just stuck in your ways, like you wouldn't <clears> believe. <throat> and this corporal has, or corporal or sergeant has three months to turn you from 18 year old Willie fucking around with his mates at high school to being up and deploying to Afghanistan, Iraq, or anywhere in the world, kill or be killed or do whatever. And that's, they've got 12 weeks is not long to change someone from an average young civilian to a soldier that yeah, we that, all look up to, to be earning the name of a digger. That was going um, to be my question was, you were in, how, how many years after basic training were you in Afghanistan? Uh, so I did basic in 2014 uh, and then early 15, 2015. And then I was in Afghanistan in uh, 2017. 
Okay. So that's three and a half, two years. That's yeah. crazy. Like to go oh, from, look, you know, mm. as you said, a kid who's thinking about WAG and school and all that type of shit. And, and as we all were at that point, and some of the listeners may be in that moment right now where you just, you don't realize how good school is. Like you just get up, you're just doing your thing. You know, a lot of people have a shit yeah. time at school, but I had a good time there. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, to go from there and then three years later, two and a half years later to be um, in an area where, you know, death is around every corner. It is a dangerous uh, environment to be in. That's where basic training has been. Well, I guess for the military has been the go-to to change that mindset, to go from a civilian to a soldier, to go from someone who, yeah. sorry, go on. Sorry, you go. To a go from someone who's fucking around to someone who is, yeah. a, as you said, ready to be killed or killed. Fucking oath. Um, you know, Australia, thank God, is in a, you know, the world at the moment, no matter what you think is going on, is really a more peaceful place than it's ever been. Absolutely. Um, in regards to war fighting. Yes. Um, but if whoever thinks that we couldn't roll into being in the trenches, you know, blow the whistle over the top boys tomorrow is fucking wrong. That could yes. happen at any point. Um, and this is why we have <clears throat> online battalions, which can, you know, within hours mobilised anywhere. Um, this is why we've got it. And that, that's why you've done your training. And that's why it's fucking hard and disciplined is, you know, um, you have to shave every morning. No one really gives a shit about the hair length of your facial hair, but that shaving you learn every single morning at Kapuka is making sure your weapon is clean every single morning that making your bed perfect hospital corns every morning is making sure your shit is squared away and you haven't got shit everywhere. If the enemy attacks when you're somewhere, yeah. um, there's a reason behind all the discipline in it and accountability for yourself and your mates. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's what you learn. Um, then you go to the school of infantry um, or we call it the school of cool. And that's where you learn your trade. That's where you learn how to be an infantryman. Um, you go from learning how to be a soldier at Kapuka to then how to be um, a rifleman, a professional shooter, I guess, um, gunslinger at Singleton. Um, but speaking on that man of fucking around at school and then going to the army, my biggest shock was, uh, you get one phone call a week. Um, and after my first week, which was fucked, I remember standing at attention outside fucking my room, uh, in Wagga and I called up my best mate, Woogie. Um, anyway, answer the, he answers the phone. He's like, oh, Willie, wait, I'll put you on speaker. All the boys are here. And I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, um, they're all there. I'm like, why are you guys all together? And I'm like, oh, bro, we're on schoolies. And I'm like, fuck, that'd be all right. <laughs> Willie's here. I just had the shittest week of my life in the army. And the rest of my mates are all on fucking schoolies fucking around. Chasing um, birds. And yeah. Dropping pingers, having a great old time. And you're uh, there yep. doing push-ups in the mud. But I don't regret it at all. Um, it, it made me who I am, I guess. And without it, you know, I still went through this same bullshit cancer journey. Then I, I wouldn't have bloody survived it this far at least. Yeah. And... Um, and I mean, well, let's let's talk about the cancer diet. I'd like to get back to Afghanistan at some point. I'm I'm fascinated with that, uh, what it's like to wake up in a war zone every day, and um, and perhaps I, I will say this. I was thinking this before whilst you were talking was on the on the topic of this could t- turn to shit at any moment. That's why I'm always as positive and as uh, 
I, I, I try to commend people who are in the military and I always say thank you for your service. It's the same with police officers because at any point this could turn to shit and the mm. people who you complain about or say, you know, they're just over there killing people or police officers are doing this, this and this, they are the people that will protect your life if something horrible happens and that could happen at any point and that is the point of human history like you, you talk about the um uh, what's the, the, the you know the, the we're seven seconds to midnight on the doomsday clock like the worst it's ever been you know this could turn to shit at any moment so i think it's always important to remember that uh we're skating on thin ice every single everywhere we go mm, yeah you know, it's it's one of those things. The respect for servicemen and women, and uh, and that extends into our emergency services. They're the ones who sacrifice, you know, their own shit for yours. And that doesn't that doesn't mean in Afghanistan getting killed or in wherever. That just means they work longer hours and they're bloody paid for. Mm. Um, at some point, they have signed a dotted line to give their life for the country. And the country, you know, what the country is? It's fucking me and you. Mm. And Sally next door and Kate yeah. up the road and all those. That's who that's who Australia is. No one gives a shit about the sand, bloody wherever. It's it's you and me and everyone else. That's yeah. who they've signed away their life for, whether it be emergency service, um, servicemen and women, whatever, you know, and bad shit gets pulled up out of the mud and you hear of one or two incidents. Well, you don't hear about the fucking millions of incidents that happen every single day that are fantastic good stuff. That happens because it doesn't doesn't trend in the media. No. Um, well, the, on the topic of the media, you need to be able to sell stories. And Willie yeah. doing something good over overseas that changes someone's life in the community or something like that, mate. You know that's fantastic and wonderful and something that'll stay with you and your friends forever. But it, you, people aren't going to click on it. You're not going to make ads, ad money, ad money from <laughs> that. Like it's it's that is, you know, the basis of the shitstorm that is our media circles at the moment you know it, it is it is piss poor in in many senses of the word or, or the the idea that that the media just goes out and tries to sell ad space is just so disgusting and gross and horrible but it is the world we are in <laughs> unfortunately that's it what is. we're dealing with but yeah it is, but you know, i think uh, people need to hold some personal responsibility and accountability for the shit they put out there as well mm. um and, and i can have more I could have more followers on my Instagram or my YouTube or whatever if I started releasing whatever. Um, but that's bullshit. Have some have some fucking self-respect um, and some accountability that if you put your name in an article that's just fucking bullshit and it turns out to be bullshit, you should be on the fucking chopping block. Yeah. It's fucked. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. you know, it's every day. I know guys who live in fear of what if they pull this up? What if that? And they've done nothing wrong. It, it just... It's one of those things. Yeah. And I, I, when I make a video, I always, or, or I read something on the news, you know, I'm very, very cognizant of thinking, okay, is that, is that correct? Is that, is, are they using the right figures? Okay. They've got these figures. I, I know yesterday they said about the, the coronavirus in America uh, killing X amount of people and it's the leading cause of death. But I know that in those particular places in America, that every single person who died from Alzheimer's, if they also had coronavirus, they would be a coronavirus death. So I don't sit at that and say, no, the coronavirus isn't hurting people. Obviously it is. I sit there and I go, okay, can we trust every single thing you're hearing? And I consistently and over my entire life have come to the conclusion that no, you have to do your own research. You have to sort of figure these things out for yourself because 
the stuff that we are being fed. And, you know, people stop listening to you when you say, oh, you can't trust the mainstream media. You go, oh, you're a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist or you're full of shit. But it is hmm. just so true. But people shouldn't live in fear yeah. like that. Fear of getting cancelled. But this is a point of you shouldn't be afraid to fuck up, but you need to take responsibility that, hey, look, I used this statistic and I was wrong. Sorry yeah. about that. This is actually what it is. I've been informed. Whatever. No one should be in fear of fucking up. Everyone fucks up. No one's perfect. But I never see, or I see very, very rarely, um, particular larger corporations, I will say, coming out with that. And they'll, they'll just, oh, it'll, it'll untrend eventually. Yeah, we got it wrong. It doesn't matter. Who cares? We, we made the, we made the ad money. Matter. People clicked. Who gives a shit? And that's gross. But, yeah. but anyway, we could talk hours about how much the media oh, yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's talk let's talk about when you returned from afghanistan uh mm. and you, you went to the doctors why why did you go to the doctors that day yeah so i returned from afghan and then um we get paid pretty well um for for young diggers we're paid very well over there we we really are um so then i traveled europe for about five or six weeks um didn't get up to any mischief at all, which no one does over there. As a young bloke on Kentucky, nothing happens. Go to church. Didn't spend time in in um, Amsterdam, did you? No, no, none of that. Oh, um, mate, what a beautiful. Place. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I got back. Um, in my first week of uh, work, I, I just had a headache. I could not fucking get rid of. Um, and I was taking codeine at the time. Uh, anyway, this was early February uh, eighteen. Uh, what were you taking codeine for? for that I had a headache to try, yeah. and, try and alleviate something. Um, that was the same week that codeine became uh, a prescription drug um, or that whatever it was uh, became a prescription. So I was like, oh, I'll go see a bloody doctor about this. I'll just hold off. I'll just stop taking it, see what I, see what I can do. Yeah. Um, anyway, like Friday came around and I, I see my um, section commander. I'm like, hey, look, mate, I can't. I can't do fucking PT today. I'm fucked. And he's like, oh, he, he would know that I'm not someone really to miss PT. I just grind through it. Um, and I did a couple of skydives on the Saturday and then rang up Sunday like, look, I can't jump. I'm, I'm in bed. They all just assumed I was hungover um, and skiving out of jumping. But um, then I rang my corporal on Sunday. I was like, hey, look, mate, I'm not going to do PT Monday either. My head's fucked. Um, and he basically just came back with, look, Willie, I had a mate die of a brain aneurysm. It's not happening again. Um, tomorrow morning, you got to go straight to the medical center. And if you don't, I'll, um, I'll drag you up there myself. Anyway, um, went and got a CAT scan. Uh, then the radiologist basically rang me and was like, look, I'm not your doctor. I can't actually tell you anything, but you need to go see him right away. Um, pretty much walked back into work that Monday afternoon after my CAT scan and had an MRI that same afternoon booked already. Um, a couple of days later, saw a neurosurgeon got a, I guess, a pre-diagnosis, I guess, um, which um, without cutting you open, they can't really tell you what it is from a pathology, but they can have a look at the density and size and all that sort of piss. Um, and yeah, it sort of went from there. I was on, you know, getting a hospital table to get a um, biopsy taken out of my head to see exactly what the tumor was. Um, the funny thing was in this, I mentioned to one of my doctors at the time um, how bad my shoulders are aching. I went and got some dry needling and some physio and my fucking shoulders were causing the headache, not the tumour. <laughs> right. Um, I'd hurt my um, my traps from wearing, because we wear body armour all day yeah, over yeah. there if you, if you need to. 
um, and being a crew commander of um, convoys and vehicles, um, armored vehicles don't have fucking much room in them. Um, they're not they're not an S class Mercedes. Um, yeah. So you're sort of hunched over in there in your body armor, and it had caused caused tears in my traps, um, and that was causing the headaches. But by chance, through that, we um, found this bloody thing in my head. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's, um, that's one of those stories where you just go, like, where would you be now if you didn't have that headache from your trap? I, I, I don't know. Um, you it's know, crazy. it can play in your mind. Would I be? Would I just be doing my thing? Would have it? Yeah, you know, not caused any issues. Um, but I guess one of those things you got to think because people ask me that. I'm like, yeah, but I did find it. There's, it you can you can fantasize about shit, or I fantasize about driving a Lamborghini every day of my life. Yeah, no, but I, I think it's a it's a good thing. Yeah. It's it's good that you you found it. I mean, you've you've done oh, fucking nice. everything you've everything that I've read about you you've done since that point has been so positive. And do you think you become more of a positive person since that diagnosis? I'm a I'm a better person for it. I, I remember coming out at a um a, a conference I was speaking at, um, and my opening line, which was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Is getting brain cancer, yeah. <laughs> and in many ways, except for the dying bit, except for that, it is the best things that ever happened. It's, it's. I don't want to use the word enlightened because then I'll sound like a fuckwit. Um, but it, it's it's <laughs> opened up so much shit to me. Um, yeah. it's made me realise what is important, what isn't. Uh, it's made me realise stop spending time with people who are fuckwits, who yeah. upset you, who don't give back what you give into their relationship. Um, because and it's really shown me that I am mortal that i'm going to die um we all know that but it's not very prevalent in our mind we sort of just get on with life and that'll happen when i'm 80 um and it showed me what it was important to me wasn't the stuff we have as our wallpaper it's not a ferrari or this big house whatever what i was most disappointed on getting my diagnosis was that i won't get that white picket fence family lifestyle and see 40 or 50 or 60 that's what hurt me. And then I, I, that's what really helped me be like, oh, fuck, this shit we've got is so fucking important. Stop worrying about the shit we don't have. Um, and, you know, just, just living in Australia. That, just that puts uh, me so far ahead of anyone else in luck, you know, of 0.1% of the world, just, just geographical fucking luck. Yeah. Um, and and I really, you know, people need to take some for some honor and some pride and responsibility in that uh, of it. But look, you say everything I've done is positive. It's it, not all of it has been, um, you know, that initial diagnosis, it's fucking hard on a young man. I was uh, 21 at the time. Wow. And you know, that's fucking hard. You know, I went about it with anger and with, um, you know, aggression and shit. It was, it's a fucking hard diagnosis. So sorry, um, t- take, take us back to where you were. You, you were, you, they were talking about a biopsy and then the, you went onto the shoulder was causing the headaches. And I'm, we, we sort oh, of went sorry. on a tangent there. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, this uh, is- so they did the biopsy um, and the biopsies take about six to eight weeks to come back. Yeah. Um, but in that time, I just mentioned to one of the doctors, like I'm a fucking, while I'm here, my shoulders are killing me. Um, and he's like, I'll, I'll get you to go see a physio, get you some dry needling and release yeah. the muscles. And that cleared the headache up perfectly the neurosurgeon said in the first appointment oh look this normally wouldn't show up as a headache he's like you're sure it's not something else um so they're completely unrelated um but yeah the biopsy 
that time of waiting for the biopsy was fucked. It was mm. worse than coming back and saying, you're dying tomorrow. Hanging in limbo is fucked. Yep. Um, it's the worst thing. And right, I went in to get my results and they, oh, we forgot to do this one. There was a fuck up in the pathology. It's going to be another two weeks. And I just dropped my fucking show bag, man. And I was fucked. Um, it's a hard thing, bro. Oh. Um, I, was, uh, I got the official diagnosis on my 22nd birthday in uh, March 10th. <laughs> so yeah, that, that couple of months was, was fucked. I wasn't who I am. I wasn't who I used to be and I wasn't who I am now. Nothing, a, prepares, um, nothing prepares you for that. that. That's not something that you're trained to do or you, you learn how to do at school to deal with um, mm. death being on the doorstep to, for lack of a better term. Um, well, this psychologist talked, the first psych I saw talked me through this when I was struggling. Um, and he said, like, Willie, you're not a bucket list guy. You, you, you've you just done whatever you've seeked out to do. You join the army, you skydive, you scuba dive, you do all this bullshit. You just, you're one of those, you'll go and do it. He said, you need purpose. Um, and I needed to refine the purpose. But um, he also um, went on to talk about um, trauma because he said, oh, you've got PTSD. And I was like, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> PTSD is from getting blown up in Afghanistan. Or yep. He's like, no, 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 no. He said, it's traumatic. It doesn't matter what, what it, the trauma was. He said, what do you do if someone shoots at you? I said, oh, well, you know, get on my guts, crawl, run, shoot back, do whatever. Okay. What do you do if you get blown up? Oh, this. What do you do if I've lost my leg? Oh, put a tourniquet. He said, has anyone ever taught you anything about or lessons on you walking to a sterile doctor's office and get told you're dying. Hmm. And that's when it became true of, holy fuck, the most traumatic thing that happened in my life wasn't any of that shit overseas or the day to day. It was no one, nothing ever prepared me for going into some white bullshit doctor's office and him being like, Hey mate, this is what's going on. This is what we think. And that honestly was the most traumatic thing that could have happened to me. Um, Cause it's such a cold blooded fucking thing. It's not, you know, you're in combat some shoots you, you go down and get killed. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's one of those cold-blooded fucking may as well put a gun to your head and put you on um, on death row. Now I this is not this in the same vein, but I I was in a a similar situation with a with a strange health diagnosis, one that sort of come out of the blue. I was having these problems with these. Uh, uh, it was, eventually, it's diagnosed as some sort of form of uh, frontal lobe epilepsy. But around my 21st, uh, I was probably 20 at the time, I started to lose control of my head. It happened maybe once or twice a month and my head would turn like that and I'd go blind in this eye and it'd just be a weird thing that happened for about 10 seconds. I'd remain conscious, uh, conscious, all that type of stuff. I played footy at the time. Uh, if it was a big ricochet of the head or whatever, that's when it would happen because for whatever reason, the misfiring of the neuron just freaked the, freaked the brain out and it went into sort of shutdown mode. So anyway, I, I go to the doctors uh, on my 21st birthday and the doctor says to me, mate, I think you've got this disease. And I said, doc, what's that disease? He said, you know, people in wheelchairs who are, you know, they're stuck, they can't move and they're out like that, arms extend and, and all that type of stuff. That was my initial diagnosis. And at 21, that, that just like... I go, oh my God, you know, am I going to die? Am I going to be in a wheelchair in six months? You know, where, where am I going to be? But, but to your, to what you said, that, 
um, gave me the kick in the ass to actually do something uh, with my life. I, I did my first stand-up set a month later and I've been putting that off for, you know, two years at this point. And the reason I did it was I was like, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I might die here. I need to do something. So let's do it. Let's get out and get it done. And, um, you know, I, I went on over time uh, and uh, and uh, I started a ketogenic diet because of it. I, I heard that it helped kids with epilepsy. So I, I tried it and that stopped it. When I got off that diet, I had another one of these attacks. It was very embarrassing and it was in front of people and it was a scary situation. And I developed a form of PTSD from that. And it's difficult to say to people, oh, you don't have PTSD. Well, it's a traumatic experience to have this in front of people and then you're always avoiding it or you're scared of it. I find that a lot of people with epilepsy are terrified of it happening because it comes without warning sometimes. And that was a big learning curve for me. You know, like I was able to get that diagnosis, have that PTSD. I developed a lot of anxiety and panic attacks from that, things that I deal with to this day. Like my first Australian tour, I was having constant panic attacks whilst on stage. Craziness. Um, but... It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I am a better person because of it. I am, I am kinder. I am a nicer person. I'm more introspective. I want to learn more. I want to be better um, and all those type of things. It's amazing how something so horrible can be so beneficial for you and everyone around you. Yeah, fucking nice. It's, um, it's that kick in the ass to show you what's important and you, know, you don't have all the time in the world to, um, to achieve what you want or at least try to. Yeah, because I mean, if you, it, it's sort of like, um, and obviously my situation is nothing like yours, but if you have, you know, six weeks to do an, uh, an assignment at school, I'm one of those people who would like, I'd wait until the night before, like a lot of yeah. people. But if you go, oh shit, we got to do it, you know, in two days, then you'll get it done. And it's the same if your life is, if your life expectancy is, is, is limited uh, dramatically, and rather than living for, you know, 87 or whatever the life expectancy average is in Australia, you know, you, you might only have, I'm not sure what your diagnosis was, uh, was, was given uh, or the time limit that was given to it. But when it's limited, it's like, okay, let's, you know, either we, we crumble or, or we rise and we, we do something. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's very easy to crumble. That is the easiest route. Yes. That doesn't fucking help anyone. It doesn't help yourself for fucking sure. Yeah. Um, you you got to get on with it. You know, the the world doesn't stop. That's, And I think that the two hardest lessons to learn in something like this is the world owes you fucking nothing and the world won't change if you're not fucking here anymore. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember being like, this is so fucking unfair. I couldn't watch the news or TV because I'd see a, 50-year-old pedophile arrested and I'm like, but you get to at least live in jail. I won't even get that opportunity to get to your age and you're a fucking scumbag. I've done only good my whole life. And that realisation of I'm owed fucking nothing, hard thing to come to terms with, best thing that you'll ever do, being no, you owe nothing. Um, And the flip side of that, being the world will just keep fucking spinning without me. Um, You know, I remember sitting at home all fucking depressed and shit, um, and no, like the bin man can't pick up the bins and you know every week. And I'm like, he wouldn't know if I lived or died. He's going to come and grab the bin the same fucking time every week. Um, the postman's going to put shit in the mailbox and the sun's going to come up, the moon's going to come up and this and that. It doesn't, you're not that fucking important. You are the most important thing in the world to those around you. And that is, that is a very important thing to learn that all we have in the end is each other. 
But if you think you're the fucking center of the universe, you need to get fucked. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah, percent. You're not that fucking important. You're not I, owed anything. Um, I, and get yeah. I get this a lot. Uh, I what you know if you, for example you watch people like I'm married at first sight. Uh, you'd look at some Instagram celebrities, those type of people. You hear this a lot, and I hear younger people using it a lot. Is I deserve this. Oh, I, I need you know. I deserve this. It's my time, man. Like that. That pisses me off to no end because you don't deserve shit. All right. If you're not willing to put in the work or, or change something or be better or be different, you won't get anything. You just won't. Life's not fair, and that is how it, how the cards are dealt. You have to make things move. You have to move the mountains. They won't move themselves. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's a hard realization. Suck it up, look in the eye, or just sit around pondering bullshit. Um, it, it's one of those things, you know. It's people at school, you know. It's a part of the problem. You're told, oh, you can do anything. Well, you probably fucking can't. Um, yeah, <laughs> and be real about it. You know, dream big. I don't give a fuck. I'm all about that. Dream to be Elon Musk. But at the end of the day, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. Um, and you know these influences we look up to are a 0.1%. They are not the every every person. Um, and not being there is also okay. Yeah. Not being that hot girl in Mykonos getting paid but bloody skinny me tea. It's all right not to be that. You see a photo of a date. You don't see all the other bullshit behind it. Um, you don't see her dad working a fucking ass off for 30 years to provide for, for his kids to have a fucking good time. Yeah. Um, the world owes you fucking nothing. Um, I think that's something that's I've been, I've tried to do uh, with my, um, my audience, if you will, to use an asshole term, but with my audience, I always try and remind people that this is, you know, I try and show them like, you know, real, real me, not just screaming like a dickhead me, like, you know, the person that, that that's having this conversation, the person that, uh, to, to try and give them the idea that even though we all have struggles and we all have things we're dealing with, you know, you can still get shit done because I, I feel like, um, and, and not everyone's going to be in the situation you're in, but they may, may, may get bad news. They may have something that, you know, a bad breakup or, or their whole life gets turns upside down, particularly at the moment, you know, people can't work, people can't do uh, a whole manner of different things. But if you can see someone that is, uh, uh, being successful, they're getting things done and they are dealing with the same problems as you. I think that gives enormous motivation and, and it gives you almost an answer to say, yeah, it's doable. It could be done. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love, I love that. Yeah. I love that people, I have people that I look at that have similar problems to me and I go, okay, this can be done. It's so helpful. Oh, fucking I. And you got to do something about it. You know, no one's got anywhere by sitting, sitting on their ass complaining. No. or yelling at something to complain Yell, yelling at something and expecting it to change it's not going to work um you know einstein i said this to my my boys the other day you know einstein's definition of sanity is doing the same thing expecting a different result mm. if you're doing the same thing again and again nothing's changing and whether that be you want a different career path and you're still working your same job or doing this or doing that that's the definition of insanity and that's, you know, I'm not against working regular jobs, doing whatever. It's how the world works. It's fine. Um, there's nothing against it. But if you want something else, we've, you're going to have to go above and beyond because no one's going to fucking hand it to you. Um, it's, it's just not going to fucking happen. Mm. And I, um, I, I see it with uh, the influ influences that I know. Like there's, uh, there's some people that I know that have never had an actual job and they, mm. they treat this like it's, it's always going to be there or I don't need to work for it. And they will, they will be the people who will fail. 
They were the people, yeah. people who, who disappear because, you know, I, I worked the jobs, I dug the holes, I spent time on building sites and pulled shit down and breathed weird shit in and all that type of business. I cleaned shit off a toilet floor, a female toilet floor at a pub once. That was fucking horrible. I, I, you know, those things, they make you go, okay, we need to, whatever we've got here, whatever's working, we must put in the time, make it continually work, make it better, change it, um, make it grow, evolve, all those different types of things and keep it going. And if we don't, that is the place that we will be back in. And I think it's the same with mental health. If you keep, you, you know, once you get ahead or once you start feeling a little bit better, if you fall back in uh, the friend group, the relationship, the, the, the diet, whatever it happens to be, if you fall back into that, then there is a chance that you will go backwards. And to your yeah. point before about dealing with the dickheads in your life, man, I think there are a lot of people right now listening to this that are surrounded by the biggest assholes that they will ever meet, particularly if you're okay. young. Like there's just so, man, I've cut off so many people in my life over the last six years and I'm so much better for it. Yeah. Oh, same. I, I had, I remember, I remember when I was struggling, man, a couple of like probably three weeks into my diagnosis, uh, I was talking to a friend, girlfriend at the time. Um, so, oh, we need to know that not everything's, not everything's about you. Like, you know, we all have our own shit going on. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. The shit you have going on is you can't be fucked going to work at Macca's. <laughs> like at least just listen. And I haven't spoken to the fuck person since, um, cutting some people out of your life. Fucking, oh, it'll make your world a lot better. And don't think you can't do it. You can fucking do it. <laughs> you can do it to anyone, man. I, I've done it over little things. Someone says something one day and you just realize, okay, this is who this person is. And they might have been yeah. a friend for 10 years. And I, all right, see ya. Because you're not, you know, when I started doing stand up, people were like, oh, what are you doing that for? It's such a waste of time. Just get a fucking job. Mm. No, see ya. Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you'd get it a lot more than me, the tall, the tall poppy syndrome bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it's like, uh, particularly with me, I'm like, fuck off. You know, people know me a little bit because I went through cancer and chemo for, I did chemo for 13 months and I was all fucked up. Um, and, you know, I have a few people follow me for some shit and, you know, a little bit of minor, very minor success here and there that's never earned a cent off. It's just free shit. And you've got tall poppy syndrome about me. Fine. You can have what I've got and you can take my fucking tumor. Fuck off. Just um, <laughs> oh, couldn't be fucked doing something. Um, how like I just think how fucking selfish is that? Yeah, you'd rather have my tumor and twenty thousand followers than just be yourself and perfectly fucking healthy and live to eighty five. Yeah, and people don't see like with with myself. If I go back down the pub down the road that you know I've been going to since I turned eighteen, you know I run into my old mates and and we and you know the, the, how's the comedy going? And some are really good about it. You know they're like, oh man, great to see you doing that. And other people are just shitty and carry on like fuckwits and you're not funny. You're not this. I can't believe people come and pay to see you. And like, you know, you can think that man, but, uh, but also suck a fucking dick. Yeah. That's my oh, genuine, that's my thoughts oh. towards them. Yeah. Fucking oath. Um, like it's just, it's just a thing you'll cop off idiots, but they're just not big enough to see the picture. So it's just and part of that thing. It's a part of getting older as well. I think uh, a lot of the younger people, they need to keep all their friends because they see them every day. Uh, whether it's oh, yeah. at uni or at school. And then when you get older, it's just like, yeah, whatever, you know, your best mates you might not see for two years and then you, you catch back up and it's like you never left each other's side, you know? And I think that's yeah. a really important thing to have as well. Yeah, if, your best mates, man, the one that, you oh. know, 
uh, and the one who's just there, you could be to not talk for two years <clears> and you catch up and oh, fucking talking shit and calling each other dickheads and yeah. everything under the start. And that's, that's just that. And they don't give a shit yep. about, and they wouldn't give a shit if you were some fucking shit stand up who wasn't funny and had no success or, and they also wouldn't give a shit if you were the most successful stand-up comedian and had millions of dollars and drove a let, they don't give a fuck of the mm. in-between. They like you for who you are. Yeah. Um, I remember I one of the guys I used to live with, um, him saying, oh, I don't actually follow you on socials because you're not that to me. You're, you're my mate. I'm, I'm your mate, not your follower. And I'm like, fuck, that's... And that stuck with me because that's how I refer to anyone who follows me, I guess, on media, is you're my friends. You're not, you're not a follower of mine. Who the fuck do am I to think that I'm better than you because of a blue tick on it? Fuck off. Yeah. That's why I set aside um, about an hour every day to reply to that day's messages for everyone. Um, because I'm like, who the fuck do I think I am for someone to send me a message and me not reply to them with something? Just if, if someone walks past me in the street and was like, oh, hey, man, my mum's been diagnosed with cancer. Would you just fucking snob them and walk past? Fuck no. Mm. Um, stop and have a conversation. Put in fucking um, like neutral effort into that conversation as far as, well, they wrote, you know, about this, I'll write to the same degree of effort they put in, I'll reply. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's where we differ because I think I'm far better than all my followers. And <laughs> I, um, I, I struggle to reply to some messages because sometimes it's just a 12-year-old kid saying, fuck vegans. I don't know what to say to that. But but I know what you're saying. You're a good man. I'm fucking savage back to some of my followers. <laughs> um, so when when you were diagnosed, if we could just go back to the, to that, uh, what diagnosis were you given, and how long? Uh, what you know? What what did you face there? What what, what was the 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 the, uh, the, the life expectancy that in, in that terms? So uh, it's an oligodendroglioma is the long word of the um, type of um, tumor in the brain yep. uh, on my front, uh, front left lobe of the brain uh, sits on my motor strip. Now, none of the doctors actually gave me a life expectancy per se. Um, they will say to you in these words, if you Google it, it'll say five to seven years post-diagnosis, but they follow on to say, yes, but that is an average of everyone yeah. um and that's an average from people who are six months old to people who are 85 years old it's also an average that takes into account those age groups it takes into heavy drinkers smokers people that do drugs people that have eat shit their whole life and people who have caught the diagnosis odd at different stages yeah they're going to make an average <clears throat> you have to take in everything so you've taken in someone that has six months to live but on the other point of that to, if you have someone who lives six months to get five years, you also have to have someone that has lived 15 years. Mm. Um, but that's the Google definition. When they say, don't listen to that, you've walked in a 21-year-old male um, who's fit, who eats pretty well. I love a drink, but I'm not a fucking heavy drinker. Um, and, you know, non-smoke, whatever. They're like, look, we, we wouldn't be confident to give you a time frame yet. Um, but knowing this, um, a type of tumour like this can be very unstable. Uh, and your uh, it will change or double in size uh, in 18 hours. Once it starts going, about 18 hours, it will it can double in size, and it's all fucking downhill from there. Fuck. So at the moment, it's pretty stable. Yeah. Um, but at some point, a, a, a you know a, a switch will flick, and it, it goes very fucking quickly. Um, 
What is that switch? If I can just interrupt, what is it? Is it like a, an environmental thing? Is it a cold, a flu, or something, no. or a stress? If, if they knew, if they knew, they'd know. Yeah. Um, but that, that it will just be sitting there, double in size overnight, and you're fucked. Um, wow. It is uh, brains. Brains in general bro, are incredibly. Um, we know fuck all about them, um, really. Uh, yeah. And it's a bit. <laughs> neurosurgeons are some of the smartest people in the world. Um, they're fucking incredible. The people that do it, fucking incredible. Um, same with all medical stuff, but you know the ones I deal with, fuck. Um, and, they, and it's pretty hard when you're like, this guy's so fucking smart, and he's sitting me, he's sitting with me, going, we don't know this, we don't know this, we don't know this. We think this does this because of that, but we have no evidence, and we're like, holy fuck, yeah, we're running on fucking shit here, mate. We're we're putting people on Mars in two years, and we don't know why I've got this tumor, or why it grows, or this. Um, but I guess that's unlocking those secrets as to, you know, the, the, the money I raise is all for research um, is to unlock, start unlocking those secrets. Um, and, the, and people, although it is for brain cancer research, uh, particularly, um, I always put it like this. Brain cancer is like a Formula One car of cancers. It's the fucking top end. So if we develop, if Ferrari develops shit in their Formula One car, Eventually, it'll go down through the parent company and it'll fucking yeah. eventually influence a Fiat 500 in five years mm. of everything. So I sort of think if we put money into brain cancer, so many discoveries have come out of treating the worst type of cancer into lesser types of cancer somewhere else in the body. And we've made so many discoveries in the research into um, you know, acute brain injuries um, and all that stuff because it's working on the brain, still research on the brain. It's not just curing one thing. It's coming out with answers for many things um even down to a lot of the research is going into um what they call neuroplasticity which is why things can move in the brain occasionally and it happens a lot in young people your brain can move shit of what it, what works around in its head so say your motor strip um your left motor strip uh, for your left hand where it sits on your right frontal lobe sort of like right on top at the front but you'll find some kids, they'll do a um, functional MRI scan and they'll find that part that controls your left hand is in their fucking left lobe at the back. Um, due to neuroplasticity, their brain can move it. What some of the research they're trying to do is how the fuck can we influence that plasticity to make shit move away from a bad area? Um, so say with me, the reason, if this tumor that I had was on my leg, we'd just cut the fucking muscle out with it, then cut my leg off and I'd probably be fine. The problem with mine is it sits on my motor strip entangled with good brain matter. And unlike muscle or fat, you can't cut out good brain matter. Um, and we can't cut enough of it out to have a very successful surgery. Um, so it's a very hard um, thing. And if, if we can get that neuroplasticity sort of going um, or research into what influences it, um, that will save a lot of lives and not only due to cancers, due to you've got a brain injury that affects this area. Can we teach this other area to do the task that's injured? Do you have any symptoms of being so, so close to your motor strips and the things that affect how you move? Do you have any symptoms that affect those? To my understanding, no, the surgeons are incredibly surprised that I don't. Right. Um, they are one of them. I work with two surgeons um, one of them, she can't believe I have no symptoms. She's like, it's incredible you don't because it sits on my, for my right hand, 
majority of my right hand. Um, she can't believe that I don't. Um, you know, it, it's not a it's not a massive tumor. But it's not small. It's um, about forty three millimeters by thirty eight millimeters. So it's a decent sized sort of golf ball chunk. And one of the problems in a, in your head is you know it's encapsulated by your skull, mm. so it can't move anywhere. It's all um, increasing the pressure in there yeah. on that part of the brain. But I, to my understanding, I have no um, no neurocognitive um, function loss. But this is why a surgery too. I've been offered a surgery, um, and this lies the issue. And I, I get a bit of a hard question with it, and people all have their own answers. But I got offered a surgery, and the surgery was: look, we can cut this out, but um, unless we get more than ninety-five percent of it, your life expectancy doesn't change at all. Like not at all. If we can get all of it, we can probably give you a couple more years, but there's a really good chance you'll have um, some sort of um, cognitive issue. It could be anywhere from a tingling in your little finger through to you have no movement on the whole right side of your body for a couple more years. And that that's the, the who would you kill your mum or your dad sort of question for me yeah. uh, is would you like to live, you know, three years with full movement, perfect, or five years paralysed on one side? Yeah. Now, yeah. People live incredibly successful lives with paralyzations, anything, of course. I know I don't not take that into account. But for me, as a you know, young, you know, mid-20-year-old, it's not worth it for me at the time. So I'm sort of hanging loose and not doing um not doing a surgery. Yeah. I mean, I guess it comes to quality of life. And um it, from what, what you've told me, it, it seems like you were diagnosed, your life's turned upside down, you hit a very dark point, you come through that and then everything changes for you. With that dark period, what was what, what got you through it, do you think? Um, finding purpose. So I needed, I'm a purpose-driven guy. I need a reason to be alive and I'm not religious and I'm not any of that shit. So I need a reason. And my reason used to be, um, and it still is to a lot of my career, you know, it was always the next thing for the army, always. And this is the reason I've served now two and a half years past my diagnosis time. Some yep. people think I'm fucking crazy, but I get a lot out of it. Even if I rock up every morning at six and go, this is fucked. Um, it, it gives me something to say, oh, this is fucked about. And that is yep. more important than saying, sitting and being going, this is good. Um, and I, I lost purpose. Um, then my purpose became, um, in a big sense, um, raising money, awareness, for um cancer um mm. and influencing change and you know i won't see any of these advancements um you know they, these all take tens of years to come through really um and it's not for me but this is one of the the beauties i guess of it that's helped me a lot it, it's a legacy thing um it, it's leaving something behind bigger than myself being part of things bigger than you is always better than just little shit so being a tiny cog, being a private soldier in the army, being such a tiny cog at the bottom is so, in, so such a special thing to be part of something bigger than yourself. And being a tiny cog in the eventual um, cure or better treatments for brain tumours is such a, such a big thing that I'll take to the grave as something I'm fucking so proud of because, you know, one day in whatever time, a kid, and this primarily affects young younger people and significantly younger than myself, at some point, 
someone will walk in with their mum and dad into a doctor's office, be told, you know, you've got a whatever tumour, uh, and, oh, we've got this treatment. Um, and, you know, at some point, at some small insignificant spark, I've had some influence on that. Um, with, and, and it's sort of like I hope one day someone thinks, fuck, that dickhead flipping tyres on the beach raising money was a, even if it's 0.001%, but it's a, a little influence on something far greater than myself. Mm. And that purpose um, is such a hard thing to find most of the time. And mine sort of fell onto me, I guess. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's been what, what got me through because I was fucking lost. Because, you know, when I got diagnosed initially, I couldn't really do any military work. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I was sitting at home watching the fucking postie in the mailman fucking uh, and the um, bin man come and notice that, oh, fuck, I'm not, a, I'm not that fucking important. Um, and then that realisation of, well, that's not what's important. You know, these things bigger than me is not that important. But what can I influence? I can influence this. Um, one of my old commanders when I was in Afghanistan, well, my commander at the time, he used to say to us before, like, everything lads control the controllables and i sort of always just paid him off like ah oh, fuck off sir he'll be right with me saying that but um, <laughs> it it makes it something that i didn't really get until i got it until i was like holy fuck yeah you can only control what you can control and the other shit you can't you have to sort of forget about you can't influence everything but what you can influence is you can do the best of your ability to do the best job of that um and i can't cure cancer I fucking, I'm not a doctor. I'm not whatever. And I don't have enough time to become a researcher or a doctor, but what can I influence in that controlling the controllable? I can influence people's mindset on how they view cancer and how you can live with it and how you can live through it and live beyond it and raising funding that is so fucking shit for brain tumors. Um, and that's, that's the controllable that I can have some influence on and that, that's everything for me same with and you know and it goes the same with mental health for other men particularly other men the the perhaps the most amazing thing out of what you just said there was i mean for example just to give some context there was a young girl in my, in my community she would have been all of three or two years old charlie carr her name was and she was diagnosed with a neural blastoma i believe is the correct uh, terminology and she passed away, I think, after maybe a year or two years. But through the efforts of people like yourself, um, friend of the show, Mark Hughes as well, he's uh, done a lot of work with the brain cancer research. You know, there'll be kids born today that will benefit from that or, or born in 20 years, you know, that will benefit from that. There are young people watching this video now who are, maybe you know all are 16 or 17 who will have children in the next 10 to 15 years and the hard work that you put in right now and tomorrow and the next day may save their child's life and that is extremely commendable and that is that is that is purpose that is change that is being the change you want to see in the world and uh, i mean i know you're not doing it for congratulations but good fucking on you brother that's marvelous no, it gives me to live beyond the years I'll have, if that makes sense. That Absolutely. It's not an easy thing, man. You know, everyone gets down about it and whatever, but there's, that doesn't really help anything. <laughs> yeah. no. At some point, you've got to get back on that horse and get out there and do your thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing, man.
Absolutely. Well, mate, let, let, you know, I don't want to take you too much today. Let, let's leave this on a on a on a, uh, on a high, mate. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I'm pumped. I'm. I'm. I'm how can we? What can we do? Because I know that you're talking about now. There is a there is a group that I work with called Swiss Eight, and they're uh, run by veterans, and they help uh, men with mental health. They've got an app that if you have served in the Defence Force, you can download for free, and you can access that. And they have meal plans, they have workout plans, they have met guided medica- meditations. Uh, check that out uh, if you are from the Defence Force. But um, what what, what are, for people from the Defence Force or from any sort of serving. Um, serving army or navy or or air force what, what what do you think people can do to sort of ease their way back into civilian life or or even just deal with the things that come with the stresses that come with it i guess it's probably not even just people in the defense force let's talk about men perhaps where do you think this this issue of mental health comes from perhaps and i know i said let's end on a positive but i think we should probably talk about this too where do you think this comes from look might be an unpopular remark. I believe it comes from a lack of personal responsibility and accountability for yourself um, and, re- and, and accountability for your friends too. But at the end of the day, your mental health is your mental health. And if you kill yourself, you kill yourself. No one else kills you. You dancing around the issues and doing whatever is not, is not a fucking accountable for shit. Being accountable for yourself means reaching out to someone, means doing the steps in process to get better. Expecting things to get better from doing nothing is not going to work. Um, and expecting someone else to reach out to you without you having some influence, it may not happen and it might happen too late because they might not see it. You're accountable for yourself and every action you do and you're accountable for your mates too. It's part of entering into a friendship with people. And I think, you know, being accountable for that. And I think accountability is fucking everything we do. You need to. Um, and if things aren't right, you have, you, you need to have the accountability for yourself, the self-respect and reach out to one of your mates, reach out to fucking me. I don't, I'll, I'll always get back to you. Reach out to someone. Um, that is, I think, one of the biggest things we can do and being there for each other. But at the end of the day, we need to do it ourselves. And that's where I think the, um, the are you okay stuff can actually sometimes be um, in the, in almost do worse because the whole saying of it's okay, not to be okay. Everyone knows that everyone knows it's okay not to be okay, but it's also, it is also okay to get better and it's okay to be okay. Again, a lot of people have this um, victim, easy mentality of not being okay is fine. I can live here. It's not, you need, if you're not okay, your number one goal needs to be working towards being better. Even if something has happened where you can never be hundred percent again, that's fine, but you need to work towards it. You can't just fall down and fucking stay there yeah. because it's easier or you're a victim or you can use whatever. It's not all right. Um, you know, it's okay not to be okay, but it's okay to get better. And you should always strive to be somewhere where you're happier. Um, And if that means cutting people out of your life, that means changing things in your life. That means whatever it is, look yourself in the mirror, look at the fucking problems you have. And if you can't change them, look, I can't change mine. I look in the mirror and think 
I'd be happy if this fucked off. Well, it's not going to. <clears throat> you look in the mirror and think, I'd be happy if my missus fucked off. I'd be happy if I didn't have this job. It's not that fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's not worth, it's not worth killing yourself over. I think um, that accountability thing is massive. That is massive. It took me, yeah. It took me to say to a psychologist, why shouldn't I kill myself if I'm dying in a few years anyway? And as soon as I said that out loud of why shouldn't I kill myself, then came all the shit I have to live for. Don't look at what you don't have to live for. One incident or one problem or an arrangement of little things. You have so much good shit to live for. And, and everyone in Australia fucking does. Everyone does. Um, or and if, you, if you believe you don't, make something too. Um, you're accountable for your own health. Same as if you break your leg, you're not just going to lie on the ground and limp around. Oh, I'll go get this fixed. Yeah. Professional help. You know, if you work with them, Find someone you like. And my biggest tip with psychologists, psychiatrists, I've seen them all. Find someone you'll have a fucking beer with on a weekend. You know, find the type of person you like because you go in there and you want to chat like mates. You're not a, not to treat them. Like you, do, you don't want someone to be treating you. You want someone to treat you like a human and you need to find someone who you would be mates with outside of an office mm. and look and look after yourself and fucking reach out to people. Yeah. I'd rather hear about your problems than your fucking death. Yeah. I think that, uh, and I'm not a religious person either, but I think since religion has become far less uh, popular uh, throughout uh, humankind, people do lose that value of structure or purpose. And it is up to you to come up with your own. You need to make your own purpose in this life like you have, like I have to some extent as well. And I'm always working, as I'm sure you are as well, on other things to work on and be better at and, and make uh, make make you know your daily your daily efforts go towards that one thing working towards one thing or a couple of things but as you said with the leg or even as you said before if you had your tumor in your leg you just you deal with it get rid of it and if you have um something in your mind whether it's being down whether it's being anxious panic attacks ocd whatever it happens to be it is on you and i'm i've been the same with the are you okay it's not it doesn't answer the question you can run around saying, are you okay? And people will, people will lie or say yes or no. Well, what do you say next? What if someone does say they're not okay? What do you do? But it does, like with anything. Like my old man tried to push me to go to uni for years and I just didn't want to. It's something I might look at in the future, but it has to be your decision. If you want to do something, it has to be up to you, particularly for people like, uh, like yourself and, and I think myself as well. You have to have something, a goal in mind, and, and then you go and obtain it. You find a way to do it. Um, if you want to get better, uh, you know, you've seen psychologists, I've seen psychologists, I've tried to make myself into a better person. And it's something that I freely admit because there aren't enough people freely admitting it because it is still this weird taboo subject. It's the same with suicide. Um, mm. This is why people kill themselves because they see no other option. And I know how powerful the mind can be and what a shit world they can, it can make for yourself. You, you can go from, and, and I've worked on this with, with my anxiety problem, like you can go from being absolutely fine to being a mess in a matter of minutes. And once you start to realize that, hang on, this is just my brain freaking out for a moment. Let's fucking just go back to um, you know, how we were before. That really does help. And I learned that from going to psychologists, you know, it's a scary thing. And, and that's also a thing with men is it's like, okay, this is a weak thing to do. It's a weak thing to go and see a psychologist. And that is such bullshit. As you said, if you had a broken leg, you go and get the fucking thing fixed. If your mind's fucked up, get that fixed as well. The most powerful thing a man can be is vulnerable. 
it, it honestly is. If you think about what makes a strong man, people might think, oh, muscles and this bullshit, 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 vulnerability. That is my number one thing I look for in strong men. Yeah. Hey, Willie, I don't know this. I do know this. I, I think I'm wrong about this. That uh, that vulnerability and not being scared of being wrong or being incorrect, um, that is what if someone – I did an uh, interview recently about what do you think makes a man. Um, I think number one, vulnerability on things because you're not scared to fail. You're also not scared to succeed. And you're also not scared to ask for help. You know, it's not being a victim. There's a massive difference between being vulnerable and being a victim. Being a victim is good for fucking no one and fucking we'll see where it takes us all the fucking time. It's always bullshit. Yeah. There's only one time I play the victim card with my tumor and it's to get the boys to the pub. It's fucking every couple of fucking weekends. It'll be like, hey, mate, you coming for a beer? Like, nah, Willie, I'm fucking a bit tired, mate. I'm like, well, I don't know how many more Saturdays I've got. It works a fucking charm. That's when you can cash in your victim card. Yeah, but, um, fuck, it fuck off with it. Oh, mate, I, I tell you what, it, 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 you've got a great story and you're doing great things, brother. And I, I really much appreciate your time uh, to come no, on the show. No, and no, I, no. and uh, if anyone out there, uh, and I encourage you to go and follow uh, Willie as well on his uh, on his Instagram. Uh, if you can give some uh, plugs for all your socials where people can find you, that'd be great. Yeah, well, it's fucking easy easy to find me. It's uh, Willie beating cancer, pretty much fucking everywhere. Um, primarily, uh, Instagram is my main one, but I also um, have a YouTube where I do longer talks about particularly mental health and issues in it. But also, um, I've had such a blessed career in the defence force. Um, I do a lot of a lot of talks about. Um, getting in and little questions. Um, and also I'm happy to reply to any weird questions about uh, getting yeah. in or whatever, cause I've had a great career. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly um, encourage you not only jump across and follow me, but even if you don't follow me, come message me, let, let me know who you are. You know, if you need help with anything or whatever, reach out, I'll, um, I'll get back to you. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much, brother. And uh, all those links will be down below. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, be a good motherfucker. Peace in the Middle East. Be extinct. And I will see you all very, very bloody soon. Uh, and uh, any, any closing remarks? Oh, fuck no. I don't know. <laughs> all right, fuck off. Have a good day. Toodaloo. Au revoir. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.